it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Today on the show, we have Nick McCollum from suredividend.com. Nick and Ben, you might remember Ben Reynolds from episode seven. They ben, Ben's the founder of Sure Dividend. Nick writes for him and together they are starting a new podcast called the Sure Investing Podcast. And so, you know, I'm kind of friends with Ben and we've been going back and forth. So I thought it'd be a good time to t- basically release this episode, this interview that I'm going to do here with Nick around the same time that Ben and Nick are releasing their podcast out into the world. So it'll be a great opportunity for you guys to check them out. And if you're at all interested in dividends, you can listen to Ben's interview we did in episode seven, listen to today's interview and get a lot of insights on the power of basically combining value stocks and dividend stocks and really creating the best types of compounding interest and wealth that you can. So. To start off, first off, thank you, Nick, for coming on. My pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. And one of my favorite articles you wrote, it is called, Which is the Better Investment, Dividend Stocks or Gross Stocks? I love that idea because, especially in today's environment, everybody, and it doesn't matter what asset class we're talking about, everybody wants to gravitate towards capital appreciation. Everybody wants to talk about what has doubled, what's tripled, what's quadrupled. And obviously, with all with all the tech stocks today, we saw biotech in, in previous years and we're seeing it with the cryptos and it has fallen off a bit. But you see a lot of momentum build on itself. And a lot of that momentum, when you're talking about the stock market, starts from these companies that might not necessarily be so profitable, but they're growing at a fast rate in whatever metric Wall Street likes to use for the day. And so basically these growth stocks create really big increases in share price and it creates a sort of craze and and you can see a lot of these different bubbles. And you kind of get like 
that contrasted with a dividend stock where people might think that that's, that's maybe a little bit more boring. So have you done any research on dividend stocks versus growth stocks? And maybe what were some of the simple findings you got from that? And we can kind of take that more in depth from there. Well, I guess the first thing that's worth pointing out is that uh, the whole stigma of dividend stocks versus growth stocks is a little bit misleading because there are growth stocks that pay dividends and there are dividend stocks that are definitely growing. And I would say there's actually quite a few stocks that meet those criteria. Um, The research that we've done suggests that dividend stocks tend to be better than growth stocks. And in fact, stocks with higher yields tend to perform better than stocks with lower yields, all else being equal. Uh, We've seen evidence that says the highest yielding quintile of stocks outperforms the lowest yielding quintile of stocks by about 2% per year over long periods of time. We've also seen evidence that say stocks that grow their dividends uh, beat stocks with unchanging dividends by 2.5% per year. And I think that 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 description of stocks that grow their dividends over time is really the sweet spot between dividend stocks and growth stocks. And you could say, you know, classify them as dividend growth stocks. I really think that they they get the benefits of both dividend stocks and growth stocks. And they also capture other unintended benefits that aren't really characterized in other one of those other two groups. Do you have any examples off the top of your head of some stocks that we've seen in the past that were able to have both of those characteristics? When I think of dividend growth stocks, the group of stocks that comes to mind immediately for me are the dividend aristocrats. And there's there's three requirements to be a dividend aristocrat. The first is to be in the S&P 500. Uh, the second is to meet certain minimum size and liquidity requirements. And the third and most important criteria is to uh, have 25 years of steadily rising dividends. So every single year for two and a half decades, every member of the dividend aristocrats index has hiked its dividend. The hikes don't have to be large, but they have to be consistent. And uh, the last time I checked the data about a month ago, the dividend aristocrats had outperformed the broader S&P 500 index by about three percentage points per year for the last decade. I think the actually people tracking the dividend aristocrats is a fairly new thing, which is why it only goes back uh, only a decade. Is that correct? Um. I think the inception of the Dividend Aristocrats Index was in the early 2000s or late 1990s. I'd have to check to be certain. But S&P, which is the index provider for the Dividend Aristocrats and the S&P 500 for that matter, they they only provide data on a trailing 10-year basis. So the data we see only always goes back 10 years, but they've been tracking it for longer than that, I think. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I always love kind of harping the idea of dividend growers, but it's nice that you guys have actually done the research and, and these are cold hard facts, right? These are numbers that have been proven with studies and and people can look up and and really see the difference. I I liked a graph that you guys sourced from Hartford funds about the power of dividends. And so you have dividend growers and initiators, dividend payers, and then somebody who pays a dividend, but doesn't grow it or decrease it and then they compare it to an equal way the S&P and then people who don't pay a dividend and people who cut the dividend and that order that I just gave of that list is basically the order and how well those various groups of stocks performed and that was from 1972 to 2015 so 
you you really see a big difference. And so I I, I want to ask because the the dividend cutters and and eliminators that's that's something that I kind of prescribe to when I talk about which stocks I want to sell. Do you have any sort of big things that lead to you wanting to sell a stock? Because I, you know, we can talk about what stock to buy and what dividend stock to buy, and, and we should touch on that in a bit. But let's kind of flip in and talk about selling first. Do you have any indicators that will tell you when you want to sell a dividend stock? At Sure Dividend, we follow an investment strategy called the Eight Rules of Dividend Investing. And the eight rules has five buy rules, two sell rules, and one portfolio management rule. I'm not going to go into detail on every rule because Ben did that in the episode that he was on, episode seven, I think you said. Uh, but the two sell rules I will talk about specifically here in the context of your question. So we recommend selling a stock when, uh, one, it cuts its dividend payment, or two, it becomes extremely overvalued. And the quantitative cutoff that we use for the second sell rule is when its adjusted price to earnings ratio exceeds 40, which very rarely happens. And that's by design because there's all kinds of qualitative and quantitative benefits that happen when you invest for the long term. So our two sell rules are intentionally exclusive and are designed to not trigger sales excessively often. That makes sense. So it's like on one side, if the business is struggling, on the other, if valuation is just so extreme that it doesn't look likely that it can be sustained. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, both of them are very geared towards income investors because when a company cuts its dividend, obviously your income is reduced. And when a company becomes grossly overvalued, you can sell that stock and reinvest those proceeds into a higher yielding security to generate more income instantaneously. Okay. And then I guess on the buy side, without talking about everything Ben talked about, let's talk about your own personal strategy, right? So you got into value investing, obviously Ben's huge on value and dividends. Maybe what got you into starting value investing and then understanding that what you guys are doing at Sure Dividend is something that really makes sense on finding a lot of undervalued securities. Uh, well, for me, the time when the time when I really became interested in value investing goes back to when uh, when I was about 19 years old. My sister gave me a copy of Benjamin Graham's Security Analysis textbook for Christmas, and uh, you know I read it cover to cover over a span of about six months, and it was almost like an inoculation. Warren Buffett always talks about how when he tells people about value investing, it's like an inoculation; it either sticks or it doesn't stick, and he can explain it to them for hours and it still won't stick. So for me, the first time I read about value investing and margins of safety and buying stocks below their intrinsic value, it just seemed to make sense. And I was lucky I was lucky enough that it happened to me early on in life. That's, that's very interesting. Um, I think the last thing my sister would ever read or give to me would be security analysis. Yeah, it was super, uh, it was super interesting. I think I asked for it. I'm not 100% sure about that. But I can't imagine she just would have randomly gifted it to me. Okay. Oh, this this book looks nice. Nice blue cover. I think I'll give it to him. Yeah. So I guess you mentioned margin of safety um, and you have the five buy rules. Are there any of those five from the sure dividend uh, rules of investing that you 
particularly maybe favor or really feel passionate on when it comes to buying the stock? Yeah, so I'll give you guys a, a super quick zoom through the five buy rules of the eight rules of dividend investing. And then I'm going to tell you which rule I guess would be my favorite. And I'm also going to explain another kind of mental model that I use to make better portfolio management decisions. So the first rule is the quality rule. And it basically says uh, invest in stocks with long histories of steadily rising dividends and long corporate histories, because those types of businesses are more likely to be around for the long term and continue to be, you know, continue having profitable operations for decades and decades to come. So that's the quality rule. The next rule is the bargain rule, which just says to rank stocks by their dividend yield. And all else being equal, you want to buy stocks that have a higher dividend yield versus stocks that have a lower dividend yield. That's the bargain rule. The next rule is the safety rule. And uh, this rule basically says buy stocks below their intrinsic value. And the roundabout way that Sure Dividend does this is to rank stocks by their share repurchase yields. Because when companies are repurchasing their own stock, it indicates that corporate management, so the people that know the most about the company, think that shares are undervalued. And we think that's a good sign and a signal that you should buy the stock. That's the safety rule. The growth rule just says it's exactly like it sounds. Buy fast growing stocks before you would buy slow growing stocks. And the last rule is the peace of mind rule, which just says to, to favor low volatility stocks and stocks with low betas. So that is, uh, that's the five buy rules. And for me, the one that is the most intriguing and the most interesting is the one the safety rule, which is the one that says to rank stocks by their share repurchase yields. And I think that share repurchases are a very, an underdog component of stock market investing that shows a lot. It tells a lot about how corporate management tends to allocate capital and whether they operate with shareholders best interest in mind or not. One of the key red flags for me is when a company's stock is clearly overvalued and management is aggressively repurchasing shares anyway. That is a, an easy recipe to, to destroy shareholder value. And unfortunately, uh, over the past several years with valuation multiples stretched across the stock market, it's been far too common among large corporations. I love it. We had a bit of a discussion on share repurchasing when I went on your, your guys' show. Real quick, can you explain for people who don't know what the share buyback yield is, share repurchase yield? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a share buyback is basically when a company takes company money to repurchase shares outstanding and then cancel them. And the analogy that I always use this to explain uh, share repurchases to the layperson is that a sh imagine that you owned a 10% stake in a $10 million business. So your stake is worth $1 million. And one of your partners says, I'm done being an investor in this business and I want to cash out. So the business managers can say, okay, we agree to your cash out and we will buy your 10% stake for $1 million. The size of the business has not changed, but every continuing investor's fractional ownership in the business has gone from 10% to a little over 11% because now it's split between nine people instead of between 10 people. So if you take that on a large scale with way more than 10 investors in a much larger business, that's exactly what share repurchases are. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. 
Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. And then where does the yield part come into that? So the a share repurchase yield basically says uh, what percentage of a company's stock price is being used to repurchase its own stock every year. So if a company has a share repurchase yield of 5% and is trading at a stock price of $100, that means $5 per share is being devoted to share repurchases each year. And do you have a general rule as far as what kind of a range of that kind of a yield you like to see and what kind would give you some trouble? Does it depend on valuation? For me, that decision is extremely valuation dependent. Uh, one of the nicest things that I like about certain companies is when they aggressively repurchase undervalued shares and when they have very strict quantitative um, guidelines for when to do that. And I, I imagine most of the times those quantitative guidelines aren't disclosed to the public, but in some cases there, like Warren Buffett has publicly said that he will aggressively buy back Berkshire Hathaway's stock price when it trades at 120% of book value. Okay, cool. I guess, so with the five rules have you seen any lately that uh, really stick out to you as good buys, even in the the market, how we see it today with it being a bit more overvalued and maybe much more overvalued depending on who you talk to and how you want to look at it. But have you, in your research, kind of seen some good examples of exactly what we've been talking about? 
Yeah. I mean, I agree with what you said 100%. I think that the stock market is trading well above its long-term average valuation multiple. Now, with that said, there are still certain bargains in the stock market. They're just harder to find than they normally would be. I'll go back to the dividend aristocrats that we discussed earlier. Uh, Three that have been undervalued in recent months, I would say, are Walgreens, AT&T, and Cardinal Health. And they each have their own reasons for being undervalued, which can, I would say, generally be summarized with the following quote from Warren Buffett. Uh, We like to buy great companies when they're experiencing temporary trouble. We like to buy them when they're on the operating table. Uh, Now, that's, that's been the case with each of those three companies. They've each been experiencing some isolated incident that has driven their stock price lower and provided a buying opportunity for opportunistic long-term investors. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. And you said all three of those are dividend aristocrats. So by definition, assuming that they're able to continue the kind of dividend growth rate that they've had in the past, it should continue into the future and only add to whatever premium you're getting from buying an undervalued stock. Yeah, definitely. I mean, AT&T in particular stands out as a fantastic income opportunity for investors. The company's yield is above 5% right now. And although its annual dividend increases are probably going to only be in the range of about 2% per year, it really stands out for investors who need income now rather than later. Okay, cool. That's that's good to have some um, tangible things that people can look at and they can do some independent research and, and kind of compare notes with everything we're talking about today. Do you know, this is a kind of off the cuff question, but do you know what kind of success rates these dividend aristocrats tend to have? Like if you are, you know, obviously I think it goes without saying that you don't want to throw a hundred percent of your capital into any one dividend aristocrat stock, but have you seen in your research indications that these stocks tend to outperform better than a group of stocks? Is it only the undervalued dividend aristocrats tend to outperform or are, are we just kind of doing everything as far as trying to put all the odds in our favor and kind of combining the two gravy trains of value investing and dividend growth investing to try to make these bigger returns, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So it's actually very interesting that you asked that question because we run a research program called Undervalued Aristocrats, and it's exactly what it sounds like. We study the dividend aristocrats, and we we run a hypothetical portfolio that buys the, the dividend aristocrats when they're trading below their 10-year average price-to-earnings ratio, and it sells them when they're trading at more than 150% of their long-term average price-to-earnings ratio. And the reason why we use 150% instead of 100% is to minimize the number of transactions that the portfolio incurs because that causes, you know, that triggers capital gains taxes and causes slippage and brokerage commissions and those sorts of things. So uh, that program has been running since the summer of 2017. And, you know, this very, very basic strategy of just buying undervalued aristocrats and not selling them until they become pretty overvalued has done quite well. Our average recommendations total return has been more than 20%. 
Uh, and for context, the average S&P 500 total return has been 8.9% as of our last weekly portfolio update. Uh, can you give away like the number of stocks that end up in that screen or is it, um, is it something where it's, it's like ranked as far as like a back test goes or is it a group? No. So it's, it's not a back test. We've been doing this. It's been like a live test since inception. So we didn't back test it at all. It's just been since the summer of 2017. But, uh, because of the selectivity of the dividend aristocrats, there's only 53 dividend aristocrats right now. Right. So because of that, and then because of the selectivity of the valuation screen, there's only been nine recommendations so far. So that's not a very diversified portfolio, but this doesn't necessarily have to be something that investors follow perfectly either. This could be a component of their portfolio, and then they would own other stocks as well. No, yeah, no. I, I had no idea you guys are doing that. That's really cool. You Basically, you know, taking taking a great idea and basically putting your money where your mouth is by having it run and... I think that's really really cool yeah i mean to be clear there's no real money backing the strategy it's just a uh it's an exercise we're doing through seeking alpha's marketplace service and uh we have yeah we've been very happy with the results so far but the short-term results have probably been buoyed by a few really strong performers including abvi which is up 65 percent since we recommended it we don't expect that to continue but we do expect it to perform better than the broader stock market because it's following this very basic notion of buying high quality businesses at fair, better prices and holding them for the long run. That's how Warren Buffett does it. And that's kind of how this service was designed as well. Yeah. That's what, that's what I meant though. I mean, like, uh, you know, there are recommendations based on what you guys teach with the dividend aristocrats and it's, you're, you're building a track record, right? So this is something you can look back on over the years as, as this thing progresses. I, I'll be interested to to see how that goes in the future as well. Yeah, definitely. I'll keep you. I'll keep you posted. Okay, so we talked a little bit about you know some some good sell side strategies, good buy side. Talked about the dividend aristocrats, and that's obviously been a sort of topic with dividend growth that I've pounded over and over and over again, and and you know it's, it's something that hopefully people intuitively understand. When it comes to managing a portfolio yourself, how do you, you or Sure Dividend as a website, how do you guys approach portfolio management? What kinds of ideas get into your head as far as how, you know, for example, on Monday we saw the S&P drop for about 4% in a day. So you had people, a lot of people were freaking out. It's comical to see on Twitter because there's so many people I follow who are, they make jokes about it, but even just seeing all the jokes all on my timeline, it like kind of gets overwhelming because the fact that they're joking about how much it's going down, it still shows how so plugged in we are and like how easy it can be to get caught up in, in the whole day to day movements and everything of that nature. And I think it's quite obvious that if you want to be successful long term, that's not something that you can expect to really overload your brain with. So do you have any mindsets or ways that you approach managing a portfolio that help you to combat those types of things or just give you an advantage overall? Yeah. I mean, I think portfolio management or at least successful portfolio management can be really boiled down to three components. 
The first is what stocks to buy, and we've talked about that in pretty heavy, heavy detail already. The second is how many stocks to hold, and the third is when to sell. So I'll talk briefly about how many stocks to hold before talking more about when to sell, because I think that's where investors make the most mistakes. So, you know, if you look at the way really successful investors like Buffett and Seth Klarman and Joel Greenblatt do it, they actually don't hold as many stocks as conventional academic theory would suggest. I think the magic number for most people is between 12 stocks and 18 stocks. That gives you about 95% of the quantitative benefits of a fully diversified portfolio, but it gives you two other benefits as well. The first is that it's way easier to manage and you don't pay as many commissions. Uh, it's just an, an easier portfolio to understand what you know. what's your exposure in this sector and uh, those sorts of things. And the second benefit is from a research and a continued due diligence perspective. Owning 18 stocks, you know, that's only 18 quarterly earnings reports that you have to follow every quarter to really understand what's going on with your stocks. And honestly, you would probably be fine to check in with each of your holdings every six months. That probably goes against what a lot of people think. But if you're a really long-term investor, what happens on a quarter-to-quarter basis, it's really not going to change your investment thesis that much. So 18 stocks checking in every six months, that's only 36 tasks in a whole year. And that's very, very feasible from a portfolio management perspective. The third component of portfolio management is when to sell. And I really think that this is where most individual investors make the most severe mistakes when it comes to their portfolio management. Warren Buffett has this really great, this really great quote, talks about when to sell and also when to buy, actually, that I think about a lot in terms of my own personal portfolio management and also the things we write about at Sure Dividend. And he says this, I could improve your ultimate financial welfare by giving you a ticket with only 20 slots in it so that you had 20 punches representing all the investments that you got to make in a lifetime. And once you punched through the card, you couldn't make any more investments at all. Under those rules, you'd really think carefully about what you did and you'd be forced to load up on what you really thought about. So you'd do so much better. That's the end of the quote. And I think investors, especially individual investors, need to take the same mindset where if they buy a stock, they're committing to it for the long term. And really, they're going to be quite happy if they never have to sell it. It's definitely a much different approach than kind of what you see today, right? With people second guessing themselves and saying oh well my money doubled let me get out and then they'll regret if it triples and you see that with almost every growth stock these days where everybody has this wishful thinking that if only i would have gotten in and if only i would have gotten out before it crashed and then it's just you know at some point it becomes less of investing and more of just speculation and almost gambling if, if you're really trying to time it Whereas when you do these punch card, this punch card theory where you, you know, you got your shot and you got to take it, you're really going to approach it from a business owner perspective and you're going to look for these businesses that are going to last for decades and you're going to look at it as almost as if you're a guy down the block and it's like, am I going to buy this pizza store or that pizza store? And which one do I think is going to be able to feed my kids? And I think it's, it's really very mature and, and a very, profitable way to look at investing in general yeah i mean i think any excuse to be more of a long-term investor should be welcomed by invest because there's all kinds of unintended benefits you know you pay less commissions you get to defer capital gains taxes and allow those continued tax liabilities to compound in your investment account for your benefit i think that the issue with 
investors selling too frequently comes down to their due diligence process when buying. You know, they think about these stocks as holdings for one year or three years or five years instead of for 20 years. And Phil Fisher, who is this famous investment investor guru who wrote this book called Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits, he has this great quote, which is one of my favorite investing quotes. And he says this, if the job has been correctly done when a common stock is purchased, the time to sell it is almost never. And I think that is extremely true, but it comes down to having a really robust and thorough due diligence process at the time of the purchase. I, lo- I love it. Phil, that, that book too, it's a great book. I didn't agree with all of it, but it was definitely one of those that really helped me out in the beginning. And it has a lot of good strategies. That's common stocks and common, uh, uncommon profits. So you kind of alluded to some of the mistakes that investors can make. You, you talked about how they can sell too soon, have, have too short of a mindset. Have you noticed any other sort of, I mean, really it comes down to like, you talk about the wrong mindset. It's, do you have any sort of other maybe mindset problems or kind of traps investors fall into, whether that's of their own self doing, whether if that's something outside from the markets, whether if it's a psychological thing, do you, have you noticed any other sorts of things that maybe somebody who's jumping in and, and trying to get into the value investing, trying to get into the, the dividend growth stock space. What are some of those things you've noticed that maybe they can take and avoid making those mistakes for themselves? I think that in terms of dividend growth investing, one of the major mistakes that a lot of investors make in the accumulation stage of their financial planning is to chase yield. When really, if you're not dependent on your portfolio income for to sustain your lifestyle, you shouldn't care too much about portfolio income. Instead, what you should be focused on is total returns. You should be you should be aiming to compound your overall portfolio at the maximum rate possible given your risk tolerance. And the actual composition of those returns between dividend payments and capital appreciation is rather irrelevant in my opinion. Another more actionable mistake that people make and that is very easy to avoid is constantly checking in on their portfolio. I find that in today's smartphone age, it's really easy to you know get the Fidelity app on your phone and check your portfolio balance a few times a day. And while that can be exciting on a good day, it's on the bad days when that habit can really cause you to make poor investment decisions with the key one being selling when your stocks are down. So I strongly believe that most investors would be far better off if they just deleted their smartphone app off of their phone and you know, checked it on a computer on a, on a fairly irregular basis. Yeah. I love that. I love that suggestion. It's, I, <laughs> I probably check. I mean, I force myself to check like once a month when I'm making my new newsletters for my paid subscribers. And I have alerts to tell me when that, if I have any trailing stops that are hit. But other than that, it's, it's really few and far between that I'm actually checking what my portfolio value is and if i do see market updates it's usually because of twitter like i mentioned i'll tell you it's one it's it's very it frees up your mind because you don't have to stress about it and it's 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 just so freeing and two it's it's nice because when you come back after two three four weeks and you see wow i I made you know x amount of dollars and it was just from my portfolio 
using compound interest and, and the stocks creating these earnings and it turning into accumulation, share accumulation and profits. And that's really cool too, because you know, it's, it's almost like running a marathon, right? You don't, it doesn't seem like you're getting very far when you're watching every step, but when you look back after two miles, you, you really see why wow, you covered a lot of ground. And so I think it's, it's very healthy. And I, I think it helps investors stay away from burnout too. Because I think that's something that that can really affect you, and then if if you just throw your hands up and you give up, then that's probably the worst thing you can do. Maybe even worse than picking some really bad stocks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're an investor who checks their their phone and checks their portfolio balance, you know, two times a day, even, and I think that is on the low end of the spectrum, unfortunately. But if you check your portfolio balance two times a day and the stock market's flat for a week, you might say. Well, I checked my stocks 14 times and they haven't moved yet. Well, that's not because of your stocks are performing poorly. It's because you check them too often, you know? <laughs> that's funny. Sounds sounds like that came from a personal personal experience there. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that was me several years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, we, yeah, we've all been there, right? So no, that's, that's a great tip and definitely very relevant for the audience here where we try to focus on helping beginners and think it's something that they can really take to the bank uh i really appreciate you coming on nick that was a fantastic discussion and it was nice to get another member of sure dividend on the podcast to talk about you know your guys's approach and dig in more into the dividend aristocrats and and how we can grow dividends and really compound our wealth in that way how can we find you online what's what's the best place to go and do you have you know i mentioned the 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 podcast launch too maybe you can talk about that as well yeah so i mean if you want to contact me personally the easiest way is through email Uh, my email is nick at suredividend.com if you want to tune into our podcast uh it's the sure investing podcast we we have a website sureinvesting.co so we're excited to see you there. We'll also be on the App Store and all other uh, podcast syndication platforms. And if you want to check out the Share Dividend website where we do all of our all of our detailed research and articles, it's uh, sharedividend.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and best of luck on the launch. And I'll definitely be keeping in touch with you guys and, and following along with what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. All the best. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.